Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters podcast. This is episode 219. You've got Chris and Brian. And this time around, we're going to talk about things that we see customers overthink uh, when purchasing an AR or looking for a new AR um, rifle. So we're just going to run through some topics, kind of give you our opinions and thoughts on these different things. Uh, yeah, so starting with kind of the accuracy, and to, I guess to preface this, we're looking at the use of an, an AR-15 um, from a more of a practical standpoint. Mm -hmm. So we're not going after prairie dogs at 600 yards, um, but we're looking to do you know home defense, um, duty, uh, multi-gun competition possibly. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe. a class, yeah. Uh, but very much more on the practical, tactical end of side, the spectrum. Of, yeah. Yeah, practical use. Um, so leading off with a combination of accuracy, ballistics, and ammo, because they all kind of go hand in hand, right? Yep. Um, guys, as we look into, you know, one of the things people get really wrapped around the axle about specifically with accuracy is people tend to conflate barrel length with accuracy, that a more lo that a longer barrel is more accurate, etc. cetera. Uh, the reality check is a, a longer barrel gives you more velocity, and that's it. You're not going, it, the one thing, and it could give you worse barrel harmonics if it's not a super heavy profile barrel the longer the barrel gets um, the heavier it needs to be to maintain consistent harmonics the the more well made it needs to be etc and there is a point of diminishing returns uh, with a two two three five five six round probably anything past 24 inches you're slowing the bullet back down maybe 26 you're slowing the bullet back down um, and out to about 20 was kind of what the military found as a sweet spot and the reality check is guys shoot 600 meter targets uh, one in seven twist, 80 grain bullets at Camp Perry out to 600 yards. And that really is, that's pushing that projectile significantly. Not that you can't do it further, but from a reality perspective. Um, the longer barrel for, for accuracy's perspective, there are rumors, I don't know if there's confirms or not, but there are, there are rumors that I think enough of them out there now of SF dudes in Iraq making 550 to 600 yard hits with Mark 18s, with 10.3 inch guns, yeah. 77 grain ammo. Um, which is where we get into the idea of a good barrel. You know, likely the Mark 18 that they're using is likely a Daniel Defense. Um, one in seven twist, hammer forge barrel, heavy profile, uh, clean crown, and probably run a Mark 262. Which makes all the difference. Which makes all the difference in the world. So you've got a long bullet that can be stabilized by a fast twist and a short barrel, um, and is a fairly lethal round, even at lower velocities, relatively. So when you conflate all this stuff together, the you know the whole the whole vietnam era mythology of you have to have a 20 inch barrel for an ar to be lethal beyond 18 inches is is kind of bs i mean there's this reality check that if you're only running 55 grain fmj ammo m193 yeah you need 2700 2800 feet per second to make the bullet do what it's supposed to do um the the other part of that is show me where the line starts to stand in front of an eight inch ar shooting m193 no matter what twist it is, I don't want to get shot by one. Is it as lethal as effective? No. But if you put four or five hits in someone's snot locker, um, they're not going to question you and go, oh, pff, you can't hurt me. That's M193. You know, you need to be using Hornady, Red Tip, blah, 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 right? So that kind of mentality. Um, so pushing into that, uh, the the accuracy into things, a good barrel will be accurate. It doesn't matter what, what, you know, what you're running through. It'll be more accurate than a comparable barrel that's not as accurate. So just that simple. So you're looking at accuracy being a component of barrel quality and ammo quality combined and making sure they match up. 
Um, a short barrel one and seven twist gun with 77 grain ammo is probably going to shoot pretty well. A short barrel gun with a one and seven twist with 55 or 52 grain or, or some kind of 45 grain varmint grenade or something like that is probably not going to shoot well. And there are going to be other issues too. It could be keyholing, tumbling, etc., that create safety issues. Um, efficacy of all this stuff too is going to come back to the bullet. You know, everybody talks about what bullet's the best bullet for doing whatever it is, and they talk about. Uh, you know, spear uh, defensive ammo or spear police ammo or federal police ammo and stuff like that and terminal effectiveness with those rounds too. Certain types of ammo are made to do certain things. A lot of the LE rounds are made for police officers working around cars, so it's got to penetrate auto glass, then do what it's supposed to do. It's got to penetrate auto sheet steel and then still do what it's supposed to do versus something you may want to use as a home defender, as a civilian for home defense, purchasing something that's a more frangible ammo that so if you do miss or shoot through the bad guy, um, you're gonna bleed energy off of common building materials like drywall and stuff like that, rather than a round that's made to punch through them and still be effective, um, you know, and go from there. So there's, there's a lot that goes into that conversation, but there's so much about people worrying about what round or, or this, that, or the other, and the reality check is a little bit of planning from a safety perspective is probably a really good thing, but worrying about a lot of this guys wanting to run the exact same round for training versus you know oh i zeroed my gun at 100 yards with xyz duty ammo but i'm going to do a shoot house stuff next week and i want to you know i don't know is my point of aim point of impact going to, with a rifle your point of aim point of impact is not going to shift enough inside the shoot house to matter realistically so you know getting wrapped around the axle about so much of this stuff and, and kind of wringing your hands about it if if everything melts down you know, pick up a mag, put it in the gun, put the dot where it's supposed to go, and start pressing the trigger, and you're going to get good results. You're splitting hairs. Yeah. Yeah. So, add to that because there's this yeah. is it's a huge topic. So the other the other thing that comes up a lot is you know group size. So what can the gun do at 100 yards? Yeah. Uh, with call it you know generic 55 grand ball M183 ammo, uh -huh. um, two inch like a good barrel from a quality manufacturer. So Bravo Company, Daniel Defense. Yep. Um, stuff of that tier, you know, two inches at 100 yards, you're kind of shooting what the ammo is capable of. Yes. Um, all those guns in that ammo combination, you know, with an unmagnified red dot, um, if we can take a B8 target, it's kind of the one use, yeah. one really good use for a B8 or a B8 repair center. Um, at 50 yards, you know, you should be able to put all, put a five round group consistently in the X ring. Um, of that target, um, that gives you a good zero. Yeah, um, we're, we're fans of the 5200 zero here. Um, yeah, if you're gonna do that, then it is plenty accurate enough for practical usage. Um, you know, at that point, if things are up closer, um, you should probably be trying to go faster. Yeah. Um, even at 50, you yeah, know, if the, absolutely in a you know a real world defensive scenario the idea is to put as many rounds in the bad guy as fast as you possibly can yeah. uh, which means the you know the group just from a from a shooting standpoint is going to open up but the gun is capable of putting rounds you know where the dot is um, to be exactly. yeah. to be good enough uh, to get the job done I, I think most shooters will find their limitations before <clears throat> they find the ammo's limitation yeah i mean just as a reality check the only place that i would say that you're going to get outside of that is when you get truly a defective combination again back to that super light round and that super fast twist short barrel gun and at that point you've got safety issues as much as you have anything else um you know so yeah i, I absolutely agree with that uh, another round that's super common green tip uh mm -hmm. the, the spec for green tip for the military is like four and a half moa 
Um, you have a steel rod inserted into a lead slug covered by a copper jacket. And to get concentricity of mass in that device is super, super difficult. And it's not made for accuracy. It's made to penetrate Russian light armor as Bruskis pour through the folded gap into Germany circa 1983 or something like that. When fired from a saw. When fired from a saw, yeah. So, yeah, so absolutely. So, you know, consider, you know, what's the MO made for? What are you, what do you need to be able to do with it? And, and then love the one you're with. If it's in your hands, great. Um, and if you find a deal on something that's a decent quality round and you buy a bunch of it and you want to train with it or get set up with it, that's fine. But understand that, you know, we don't have the FBI's budget where there is no training ammo. It's all ammo. The FBI runs the same round they carry in their guns on duty. It's the same thing they run in their gun when they're on the range because it's not their money. It's ours. Uh, so, you know, and if you're in that position where you're fortunate enough to have that kind of cash to do that, great. Um, you know, whatever. You, you, yep. do you. you do you, boo-boo. So, um, this, again, this is a massive, massive rabbit hole we could go down. When people start talking about they want a home defense gun, but they want to be able to, you know, keep MOA accuracy through 600 meters and stuff like that, you're getting a little bit esoteric. Define the priority of the device first, and if we're saying it's for practical use around the house, um, I can make a 20-inch fixed stock gun work if I have to, just like I can make a 20-inch shotgun with a fixed stock work if I have to but a shorter barrel is going to be a lot more convenient going down to an SBR, going down to a 10, 10, 3, 10, 5, or an 11 half or 12 and a half, whatever you want. Yeah. You're going to gain velocity advantage. The projectiles probably going to work better at higher velocity, but modern defensive ammo is made to do a lot of things at a lot lower velocities. There's good choices out there, even with the SBR. And if it's lighter, easier for you to handle shorter, easier to work through structure, etc. That is still a really good option. Um, you know, don't sweat it, and understand that if you get out of distance, it's you learning how to use the weapon and ammo combination to make it effective, and going from there. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't overthink it. So cool. Um, yeah, just to kind of skip over to the ergonomic side of things. Yes. You're running a 16-inch carbine um, is much more handy mm -hmm. than having a you know fixed stock 20-inch gun. Yeah. Um, for the average civilian or law enforcement officer. Well, and also um, the 16-inch gun fits in a, it, likely in a rifle rack in a car yeah. in your cruiser, whereas the long gun might, and the short gun might not either, depending. So that ergonomics means your environment, too. What are you tasked with and what do you have to use equipment-wise? Yeah. So if you're LEO, you know, the gun that fits in the rack is the one you're going to use. Yeah. But 16's probably the beginning of being convenient. Yeah. Yeah, 16 also you know, gives you enough rail space with a modern M-Lock rail. To build a mount accessories kind of where where they're useful where they're functional yeah lets you get a little bit stretched out on the gun um nothing feels super cramped yeah uh, 16 inch guns are generally mid-length guns they length gas system guns at this point if it's a solid manufacturer you're um, more likely to see a midi yeah which then makes it a little bit softer shooting um kind of makes it comfortable you know you don't have you don't have real snappy recoil impulses because yeah. the gun's cycling super fast uh, also with a 16 inch gun, um, where am I going with this? I give up. This is a trick question. There's a, the, yeah. This yeah. The, uh, no, the other thing with the 16 inch gun, um, from a sound perspective to the shooter, uh, a 16 inch gun tends to be a lot more pleasant to shoot. Yeah. Um, than like a real short gun that's not suppressed. Um, just cause the, you know, the boom out of the end of the muzzle is farther away. Uh -huh. Um, you've got more time to bleed some gas off yeah, you're burning um, off you're five more, more inches of powder essentially a bunch more powder yeah. um 
yeah, if you're if you're doing, you know, on the range training around barricades, barrels, that kind of stuff, you know, and it's not suppressed, a 16 inch gun is going to be a lot more comfortable. Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, what the the it, funny that you would bring up the conversation around getting stuff on the gun. Um, with the arm brace thing being up in the air right now and people doing a lot of SBRs, uh, we're back to getting smacked in the face with, man, it's really hard to get everything I had on my 16-inch gun with a 13-inch rail on an 11.5-inch gun with a 9-inch rail. You start cutting your rail space by fully by a third, yeah. um, maybe even half, depending on how your gun's set up. Where's your front sight going? Where's the light going? The big light you had on your carbine won't fit on your SBR with anywhere to put your hands, etc. blah, 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 blah. Um, that has become a significant topic of conversation again. We used to see it with 9mm um, pistols uh, that were like PCC type guns when braces were still legal. Especially the K variant stuff. Yeah, you start getting into you know a little bit of short rails. Well guys are having those exact same problems again. And there are accessories and stuff you can put out there to help ergonomics. If it's an SBR, you put a vertical grip on it. If, and that may get your hand in a different position. Uh, you can do things like, you know, we're, we're running the Unity hot buttons and playing around with those uh, now and seeing how much lower space that takes up and how it integrates with other lighting systems. So it still allows you to use a big light, but with a switch that's easy to get to that doesn't take up a ton of space and just different things like that. Um, and a big part of that too comes in with the suppressors. You get into the short guns, you can put the suppressor on it and still have a 16, 14 and a half inch, 16 inch style gun yep. with the can. And that allows you to extend things like flashlights and stuff past the muzzle device where I don't want to run a flashlight next to my muzzle device and have to get the crap beaten out of it. It's going to destroy the finish on it. It's probably going to cloud up the glass and at some point irreparably. And then it may actually yeah. frag the light. I mean, there's some lights that I don't think are going to tolerate that kind of concussion. And when you put the can on it, if you run the can consistently, now you can have your light stretched out in front of it too. All those things ergonomically come into the conversation for sure. Um, and there's not a right or wrong way, but there are better than other ways. The reality is, is sweating it from the day you get the stamp back versus going out, setting it up and playing with it and seeing what works for you is probably a better way to do that than necessarily trying to get it perfect when you've never pulled the trigger on the gun. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what else flows from there? Uh, I'll talk about reliability, longevity of okay. the weapon system. Yeah. Those go hand in hand too, right? Yeah. Start getting short enough on an AR. Um, I, we, you know, we've always kind of maintained that like that 10-3, 10-5 is about as short as you want to go. Uh, part of that's from a ballistics conversation. I don't want to give up much more than that barrel length wise because it does really hinder you if you do have your end of world um, apoc uh, zombie apocalypse kind of thing going on. You know, if you've got a gun where you've cut enough barrel off, you can lose velocity, lose stabilization and things like that, especially with good quality ammo. Uh, if you don't have a good fast twist or you have a yeah. fast twist but a short barrel, things can go sideways really quickly. And you limit yourself suppression-wise. There are a lot of suppressors, quality suppressors, that say, hey, we'll go down to 10.3 or 10, but not any shorter than that. Um, you also compromise gas system length. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the original stoner design gas system was a 12-inch gas port on a 20-inch barrel. We pushed that down to a 7-inch gas port on a 16-inch barrel. And now maybe even shorter than that, um, I like staying with that carbine link seven inch gas as kind of a minimum on a 10.3 or a 10.5 if it's a well-made gun, meaning it pretty much needs to say Daniel Defense, um, I don't know, maybe LWRC um, and some other companies yeah. like that. It needs to be one of the one of the high-end premium brand names. And there are some companies out there like BCM 
Um, you know, my understanding is Paul, the guy that owns the place, doesn't want to do a 10 and a half inch gun because he doesn't think you can make it reliable. So they've kind of stuck with that 11 and a half inch. At least that's always been the mythology around BCM and why they don't do a 10.3 or a 10.5 Mark 18 knockoff is because they don't feel like you can do it reliably without way over gassing the gun. That leads us to more reliability and longevity issues, right? Because everybody in the world wants a Mark 18 because it's the cool guy gun until they find out it's way over gassed meaning it's super gassy, bolt velocity is off the freaking chart, so it beats itself senseless. Um, and some other things that come along with that, being hard on suppressors, being hard on the shooter and everything else. Um, and then they get into that and they're like, wow, now I want to tune this thing. Well, they tune it, then it doesn't work suppressed or it doesn't work unsuppressed one way or the other. Or it only works with certain ammo. Exactly, and you start playing around stuff like that. The reality check is the Mark 18's issued to dudes who have unit armors. And it's way over gas to be super reliable in all conditions. Um, and so you run into, you know, who's maintaining your guns for you? And is that a finicky system? Do you have higher wear and tear? Gas rings need replaced a lot earlier. Uh, bolt lugs get beaten. Definitely bolt lugs are going to fail on short guns faster. A lot more pressure holding up the unlocking. Uh, recoil springs in the gun. Uh, the buffer spring in the gun is going to need, you know, probably replaced on a lot shorter maintenance interval and it's blowing a lot more crap back into the trigger pack. So that's gonna need maintenance, cleaning, and stuff like that on an increased interval as well. So when we talk about both reliability and longevity, shortening the gun up is part of that conversation, and then so is good ammo, and then so is who's the builder. Did they yeah. you know, put together with that mentality? So any uh, anything to add there? Yeah, so when you look at, you know, call it maintenance cycles for the guns, 16-inch um, unsuppressed guns, clean them you know, keep them wet yeah uh, do a deep I won't say a detailed clean you know wipe them down on the inside do do a 10 minute cleaning job every thousand rounds ish yeah. um, the gun's gonna work great uh, there's not a lot that gets like it's a di gun there's yeah. stuff that gets blown back but it's not crazy yeah uh, put a suppressor on a 16 inch gun and start doing that same thing at 500 rounds yeah um, on a shorty gun, um, your kind of 10 minute wipe down clean, all that is probably at 500 rounds. Maybe, or maybe, maybe every time you use it, or, if your life's staked on it, you know, if you yeah. go out and do a range day, maybe you only shoot, maybe it's a qual or something where you only shoot for a couple hours, a couple hundred rounds, but I'm staking my life on it with a little gun, I'm gonna clean it. If yeah. it's a 16 inch BCM, I may not. I may lube it and go on. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then um, shorties that are suppressed, yeah. Um, yeah. Like every every single time you use it, it's yes. got to get at least wiped down and cleaned and relubricated. Yeah. And then you're really doing an armor level inspection and rebuild probably every thousand rounds. If you're staking your life on it, completely agree with that. The other thing too, when you start putting the can on the gun with the little guns, I'm gonna look at that lockup, that interface system between the weapon and the gun too, and just do a cleanup on that every single time. Um, that's more of a convenience thing than necessarily a safety or reliability thing. Um, some of the suppressors, once they get a little bit dirty, can get hella hard to take on and off the gun. And a little bit of maintenance, a little bit of preemptive stuff helps that. But my big concern would be if you're pulling the device on and off the gun and then it gets crudded up with carbon real bad, at some point might you have an alignment issue. And I can hear everybody out there screaming in the back of their heads going, well, if it's a good system, it won't matter. Um, the problem is, is good systems sometimes don't have good operators. And if you don't realize that your ratcheting system on your Surefire didn't lock down the way it was supposed to because you're new to it or you haven't used it enough that you're intimately familiar or with what it feels like. Or you're doing it in a hurry. Or you're doing it in a hurry, in the dark, whatever. 
Um, and now you end up with a baffle strike or an end cap strike, you know, and, on, and maybe in a critical situation where you really needed the gun to work and that bullet to go where you wanted it to go. Um, you know, if this, is an, if this is an everyday tool for you to use, then it needs to be maintained as such. If it's, you know, something where you get to know it and you get to find out what the maintenance intervals are, great. Be comfortable with it. Know your stuff. Uh, but beyond that, I know that my 11 and a half inch gun is something I, the, the more I shoot it, the more I get into cleaning that specific gun, not because of malfunctions, but because it feels different when it gets dirty and I primarily run a suppressor on it. So I know that that gun gets twitchy. And then we've had issues with certain trigger packs from very good manufacturers, not liking being suppressed and not well-maintained. So, you know, I'm not going to throw any brands under the bus, uh, but I would say if you're running a shorty with a suppressor, um, and you're staking your life on it, I'd be looking at a Geisley SSA. Yeah. Or, um, or, a, or a every time you shoot it, clean it mentality with other brands. Yeah, any kind of, like, call it unitized trigger pack uh, where you can't take all of the pieces apart um, and clean them is going to going to become a problem with the, ship, with the suppressed SBR or an AR pistol. Yeah, unless you have a Sonic, ultrasonic or something like that, you can throw it in. And even then, the ultrasonic may not push a primer that's been popped out or something like that out of someplace you can't see yeah that's my big concern with some of that too um so yeah like i said you know there's some of this stuff that may you know shorter it gets the more work it is the more convenient it is the more work it is you know that kind of mentality so uh, there's this is another ginormous topic yeah ginormous topic um so yeah like i said if you're if you're running a working sbr um and you train with it on a regular basis that is a gun that you should have spare spring kits, uh, maybe a spare BCG ready to rock, different things of that nature. Because there's some things that you can, that are predictive in nature where you can say, hey, every 5,000 rounds, I'm just gonna preemptively replace the buffer spring. Um, you know, that kind of stuff um, versus something like a bolt where the bolt just says, okay, I've had enough. And it shears off one of those lugs that are right next to the extractor. Once the first one goes, there's a whole bunch more following real quick and you're gonna have some issues. Um, you know, so if it's in the middle of a critical incident and you lose a lug off the bolt, as long as it doesn't get in the works of the gun and shut it down, you'll likely be okay for the next 10 or 20 rounds. It's that third or fourth mag on a training day where you don't realize it well. So you're like, hey, yeah. why is this thing acting funny? And having a spare BCG is nice for that environment. So, yeah. Yeah, as far as longevity goes, so now we're talking about total round counts out yeah. of the gun. Uh, Cold Hammer, Forged Barrel, Daniel Defense, 16-inch gun. Mm -hmm. um, north of 60,000 rounds before that barrel is going to open up. Yeah, and that's that's documented. Um, Battlefield Vegas uh, hired a dude who was a former Marine armorer, um, and he took over the maintenance of all their weapons and on their full-auto AR guns that they're letting guys rent, which nobody's shooting semi-auto, um, 60 to 80,000 rounds on the barrel. Uh, I, I wish I could remember what the numbers were on the buffer springs and stuff like that, but it seemed like full-auto on a 16-inch gun was still chasing 8,000 rounds. And yeah. they would let those guns go to where they didn't necessarily work well before they went ahead and started replacing them, replacing parts and whatnot. So um, crazy numbers. You can Google that stuff. The, the that information's out there. It's on a yeah. It's on a forum somewhere. So um, yeah, call it a normal, you know, sixteen inch, um, sixteen inch Bravo Recce, mm -hmm. um, not a BFH gun. You know, probably twenty to twenty five thousand rounds. Yep. Um, most of your other. You know, non hammer forged barrels going to be probably about the same place. Yeah, if you're running from a, a from a good manufacturer. Yep. Yeah, if you're running good quality barrel, if you're beating the living crap out of it, you know, back in the day when when I was doing a lot of, 
LARPing, playing dress up, taking classes, doing, you know, movement stuff where you're cover fire and things of that nature. You know, I had a, a, a generic uh, mil-spec barreled chrome line gun shoot out at about, I don't know, 15 to 17,000 rounds, somewhere in that range. Um, the gun was functional, accuracy suffered, and that was how you could tell, but the gun still put bullets on meat at 100 yards all day long, no problem. It just, you could tell that it was time. And when they start to go, they go fast from a barrel perspective. Yeah. Um, small parts really matters. Um, guys should go out there and you're just as good as gun. Your gun from a, a manufacturer who does not have a good reputation. There's not a good reputation for a reason because they're sourcing small internal parts, trigger pins, springs, um, different things of that nature from wherever they can get them cheaply to build the gun. And one day they're from a good manufacturer and one day they're made out of Chinesium. So it just depends on whether you got a Wednesday gun or a Friday gun. And that's why we throw out that continuum of what's good quality and what's not. Uh, so be aware of that. You're just as good as gun will work fine until it doesn't. And that's because generally because of small parts issues. Um, the accuracy end of it, it doesn't matter through the first, if it's, if it's halfway decent thrown together, it won't matter through the first 500 rounds. Um, but when things start to break internally because they're crap, that's where it does. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, bolt carrier groups, uh, Bravo Company, uh, go to their website and watch the video. Bravo Company is one of the few companies out there that actually like air gauges, three different spec locations on a BCG uh, to make sure it's within spec and stuff like that. Really good quality stuff. Daniel, Daniel doesn't have two different production lines. They make guns that are military spec guns, and some of those guns go to the military, and some of those guns go to people, some of them go to police. Uh, kind of like Colt used to do, there weren't two production lines. It was a Colt. If you got a Colt, it was generally a good gun, and it didn't matter until the 90s. Uh, but anyway, so that kind of mentality around that. So, yep. Yeah, one thing to note on the, the barrel longevity, if you do run, um, you know, Russian surplus uh -huh. 223 ammo, where it's a steel or a bimetal jacket, uh -huh. um, something other than a copper jacket, now you're probably cutting your barrel life in half, um, maybe even less than half. Uh, so do be aware of that. Uh, a lot of times that ammo is really cheap, um, but it will, if you have a favorite barrel, that, that ammo will eat your barrel. The other thing it does um, is also eats eject extractors and stuff like that too. Um, you know, we used to say back in the day when, when regular ammo was relatively cheap, but Russian ammo was stupid cheap, half price or whatever, go ahead and do it and just understand the maintenance intervals again. You know, have, have spare extractors, extractor springs, donuts and stuff like that on hand because you're going to chew them up quicker. And, and just recognize that's again, that's a service interval thing. If, you, if that's all you can get or the price differential is enough that you're going to take that money and set it aside and buy a spare barrel, rock and roll. You know, you, you do you again. Uh, same thing with extractors and stuff like that. They're relatively cheap. You can go to BCM and buy extractor rebuild kits from them or bolt rebuild kits. That's awesome. But if you're going to run that cheap ammo, understand that and just preempt it by having the stuff there to keep the gun maintained and up to spec. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anything else in reliability and longevity? It's most of it. Uh, use a good quality lubricant. Yes. Um, we're big fans of the Slip 2000 um, EWL or Extreme Weapons Lubricant. Um, that's that's designed for modern defensive firearms like AR-15s. Yeah. Um, using Grandpa's REM oil um, will lead to problems. Yeah, it burns off. Uh, stuff like pasty stuff like frog lube leads to problems. Yeah. Um, Provably. Yeah. Yeah, provably fire clean frog lube, that kind of fun stuff. Um, yeah, use a good lube. Um, your generic three-in-one oil from the hardware store will not stay where it needs to be, and it'll it'll and it will burn off. It's not made for the gun, the heat. 
um, you know, and then we can go nerd out on you if it's a convenience issue. Uh, most of your vehicle lubricants at one point were pretty good options from a heat perspective. In extremis, you're on the range and need something to put in it because it's dry, great. But in general, a good gun oil is going to be better. So Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh, lastly, we, we tend to see customers kind of way overthink. Uh, we call it aiming and sighting systems. Yeah. Um, for a practical, you know, defensive carbine, um, just a red dot or a holographic sight yeah. with no magnification works really, really well. Um, most people with halfway decent eyesight be able to make, you know, a zone size hits out to 200 yards without too much trouble. Yeah. Um, provided they're able to run the gun um, from a basic rifle marksmanship perspective. Yeah. Um, with some proficiency if you got good fundamentals 200 yards is is totally doable the dot and i and i would even say if you train on a regular basis 300 yards isn't a big deal yeah because at that point you are starting to talk trajectory but just understanding you know i use my dot uh, everybody i run an old original sub 89,000 serial number trijicon mro with a 4moa dot and all kinds of parallax and when you get out beyond 100 yards you take that instant to make sure the dot's in the center of the optic. You ignore the blue tint. Ah, blue tint. Ah. Um, ignore the blue tint, you know, and, and, and you basically hold a dot and a half high at 300 and you're on the target. It's, you know, it's not the end of the world not having the best, the newest, the whatever, if you know how to use it. Um, having said that, if you have an MRO that's that old, freaking replace it. Could have been a cheap bastard like me. So, <laughs> and me, I'm just, I'm lazy yeah. because I just, I had it and I can make it work and I've always made it work. But understanding that, um, we watch people get wrapped around the axle. Um, I get, I get wanting magnification for PID, especially if you're law enforcement. Uh, there's a little bit different conversation around law enforcement. If they're called into a situation where they're, you know, they've been advised there is violence afoot and weapons afoot. Um, on scene then taking your flip to side magnifier or your one to six LPVO and dialing it up and looking through the windows of a house or looking at a bad guy who's a hundred yards away in a middling light situation. Yeah. Now you need that PID to say, okay, what's in this dude's hands, dude or dudette's hands, what are they doing? And and having that that magnification for PID is a wonderful thing in that environment. As a civilian, if you've got somebody wandering through your backyard um, and you want to put some, you know, some magnification on them to see what's going on, you're pointing a gun at them. Yeah, binoculars might be the better way to go. Bingo. And, you know, so, so bear some of those things in mind as you're trying to say, well, you know, I've got 10 acres out in the country and I want to be able to see what's going on. That's cool, but from a legal perspective, can you point a gun at somebody just because they're walking across the back of your property? And when you look through a scope to do that, that's exactly what you're doing is pointing a gun at somebody. So there are gun safety issues. Um, and then the attendant legal issues and maybe even some moral issues there too. Um, are you escalating something if that person happens to turn and look at you and sees you pointing a rifle at them? Well, if they're out walking from one field to the next to go groundhog hunting or something like that and they have a rifle, are you now a threat to them and did you escalate that situation? Can you call yourself innocent at that point when you pointed a gun at somebody? So a lot of those things, people don't really think about that aspect of it. They think about the capabilities and the question is, is you know, do you, do you actually need those capabilities or not? In some environments, maybe you do. Some environments, maybe you don't. Is it better to have them and not need them? Maybe, unless it complicates the system. 
Um, you can read dozens upon dozens upon dozens of stories of guys hunting, having a scope turned all the way up magnification-wise, but then having a short shot and not being able to take it. You complicate your system, and that's where I think it falls apart. Yeah. Do you train enough to make sure that every time you're done shooting, you flip your magnifier out of the way, or you drop your LPVO back down to one every stinking time, versus you've got an Aimpoint T1, T2, you've got an MRO, you've got an uh, EOTech, uh, a Holosun EMS or, or 510C. Yeah, um, it you set it down. If you pick it up, it's ready to go. Period. And there's 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 a lot to be said for that. Um, overthinking all the things you want one gun to rule them all is fine, um, but there's almost always a compromise with that. And when the system gets complicated and you don't spend enough time training, that's a whole other conversation. And that's I think that's where things fall apart is the human aspect of it, not the mechanical aspect of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The other kind of convenient thing with unmagnified optics is they're lightweight. Yeah. Uh, putting LPVOs or bigger scopes on rifles adds a considerable amount of weight to the system. Yeah. Uh, which might feel fine. You know, if you're shooting the gun off a bench, you start carrying the gun for a little while and that added weight starts to add up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you yeah. want if you want that ultimate endurability out of an LPVO, generally it has to be heavy. If you want, you know, Trijicon Credo durability, it comes at a price. If you want Night Force durability, it comes at a price. Those advantages come at a price. That price generally is weight. Yeah. Um, because for in dollars. Yeah, you, in dollars, absolutely. <laughs> um, if you start thinking about putting, you know, a cheap one to six on your on your gun, is it a good quality one? Does the dot do what you want it to do? all those different things, and, and then from there, is it durable? And if it's lightweight, it's probably not, or it's got some other flaw, whether that's top yeah. size or whatever. So, you know, again, keeping it simple, that KISS principle kind of mentality uh, is definitely the way to go. Um, you know, I haven't seen a lot of magnifiers that were decent quality break, but- Yeah, I, I think they're a lot simpler. There's a lot less moving yeah. parts. Yeah. Um, even though you can, with magnifiers, you do need to be able to kind of center them up uh -huh. um, and eliminate some what would be like scope shadow type issues yeah um, you don't have erectors and that kind of stuff that has to maintain you know exact tolerances yeah uh, so they're just a lot a lot more mechanically simple yes so um, yeah just to real briefly hit on iron sights if you are running a red dot we recommend running um, iron sights because you have an optic that's powered by batteries and runs on electronics with no fixed reticle like you would have in an LPVO. Yeah. Uh, we're big fans of the Magpul flip ups, um, just the regular MBUS stuff, be that the Gen 2s or the Gen 3s. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, we zero them, we flip them down, we generally forget about them yeah. maybe once a year, you know, make sure that they're still zeroed. Yep. Um, yeah, anything to add to that? No. No, really not. I mean, you know, again, I'm not saying that you, if you have a good quality dot optic that has a five-year battery life, et cetera, and you do your due diligence maintenance on it where you change the battery out once a year, um, there are dudes out there not running in, in high-stakes environments, not running backup sites on their gun. Uh, that's cool. It's your system. But if you don't know it intimately and you haven't beaten it senseless on a regular basis, put backups on your gun. They're cheap. Yeah. The They're guys cheap. doing that uh, are also in units where they have generally like seven to three to seven other yeah, guys studs. that 
shoot better than they do, and yeah. they shoot better than just about anybody else in the world. Yeah. Uh, coming in right behind them. Yeah. So if something goes sideways, they generally step out of the way. Your malfunction clearance on a freaking Delta uh, entry team is to step out of the way of the guy behind you. That's your malfunction clearance. Your immediate action is to get out of the next shooter's way, you know, so he can burn whatever down. But yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, lots of, you know, I know it's hard not to overthink this stuff because it's it's your hobby. It's interesting. It's cool. You want the coolest toys, or it's a big investment, or it's a big investment. But but you know, try not to overthink it. There is definitely, like I said, we're back to that kiss principle. Keep it simple. Yep. So, yep. Uh, on that note, you can find us on social media. Uh, search for Cap City Outfitters on Facebook or Cap City Outfitters Two on Instagram. On our website, CapCityOutfitters.com, you can find information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor from our storefront over at silencershop.com. Also on the website, you can sign up for our email newsletter that comes out once a week or send us an email to info at capcityoffitters.com. We will add you to the newsletter list. And then we're here in Hilliard, Ohio. We're at 4465 Cemetery Road. We're in front of the Aldi's. We're directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. Uh, we're here 10 to 5 Tuesday through Friday and 10 to 3 on Saturdays. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys.